Hello and welcome to Life After Sunday, a podcast ministry of Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. I'm Ed Petty along with Aaron Allen. Aaron, hey, how hey. is your 2023 going so far? Uh, so far, so good. And getting so ready far, for so classes and starting the next semester. Yes. So let's we're excited. Go. We're joined again today with our pastor, Dr. Darren Biles. Darren, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Got my hair cut just for this podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> what we're going to do is the next two podcasts, we're going to, as we've done in the past, we're going to break down some of his previous sermon series. And you did a great one on Philippians. And what we're going to do is we're going to begin kind of breaking down the first five, not break them down to each individual sermon, but the first five episodes were on chapters one and two. So we've got a little bit of series of questions we're going to ask and let you break it down. By the way, you can find these episodes or these sermons on our YouTube page at Sunnyvale First. First Baptist Church. I highly suggest if you've seen them, if you were here and caught the live show, check it out again. It's great. And so we're going to begin. First question is, how did church at Philippi begin? Well, the church at Philippi began out of a prayer meeting. And that's what I love about this story. It probably should be true for every church, but this church began out of a prayer meeting in Macedonia. And you read about it in Acts chapter 16, verse 9. Paul on his second missionary journey, has a vision from the Lord in which he hears a call. And we sometimes hear that referred to as the Macedonian call. And so from that call, Paul interrupts what his other plans were. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke make their way to this small town, Philippi. And over a course of some conversations, three dramatic conversions take place. And from the basis of these three conversion experiences, a church began. The first was a woman named Lydia. Lydia was uh, of the same occupation as Paul. Paul, on several of his stops, was bivocational, and so he was a tent maker. And he met a woman named Lydia, who's described in the Bible as a as a God-fearer, it's not clear if she was a believer in Jesus Christ, but she was religious. She was a God-fearer, even had a Bible study in her home, and she became the first convert. And then they met a slave girl, and and this is a fascinating story that you read. This girl was uh, demon-possessed, and there were people who were abusing her gift or whatever that, uh, that use was, And she encountered Paul and came to faith in Jesus Christ. And the people who were abusing her for their own profit got angry at Paul. And so they threw Paul and Silas in jail. And they beat him. They uh, tortured them, uh, put them in stocks in the prison. And so the Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas are singing songs to the Lord. And the jailer hears them. And he's concerned, and he feels with all the chaos that was ensuing that, that maybe the prisoners are running away and they're escaping. And so he's about to commit suicide, and Paul interrupts him and leads him to faith in Christ. And so you've got three dramatic conversions from three different stages of life. So a pretty wealthy business owner, woman named Lydia, a slave girl, and a jailer. And, and there's this earthquake, and, and what resonates is the, the word, the language, the question of that jailer, what must I do to be saved? Mm-hmm. And that really, for me, is, 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 is the picture of how this church began 
uh, a strange hodgepodge of people centered around that question, how can I be saved? I find it interesting that uh, this, this, this scripture here about the jailer always jumps out to me. And, and I remember hearing a sermon that uh, Ergen Canner, who we just had on in a recent podcast, mentioned one time, and he breaks it down. He says, round about midnight, they weren't griping. They weren't complaining. Yep. Any, anything and everything that you know that a prisoner would be doing, they weren't. Round about midnight, they were worshiping. Mm, yeah. it's just it's it's fascinating it, it just really resonates with myself and how we should mm. carry our lives yeah, yeah. And, and it's no wonder god blessed the work of that church because of how it began by yeah. prayer and by praise and how yeah. many churches do begin with uh out of someone's home and out of mm-hmm. uh, just a prayer meeting and then the next thing you know it just explodes and grows and grows yeah another thing i think is interesting cool about this the like the first two conversions that we see within this region are women mm-hmm and uh, through our kind of current cultural climate and the way my eyes are reading scripture right now is I'm actually looking out for those kinds of things right now. And we're walking through Exodus in our young adult Bible study. And one thing that I pointed out to them is that it's interesting to me that in the life of Moses, the two most key people in the beginning of his faith were his mother and his sister. Mm-hmm. And so, and, the, and they're mentioned by name right. in the text. And so um, it's just, it's really cool now to like look back on Philippians and think, okay, cool. So uh, God has a plan even for women in scripture where in this area, this region that the first two conversions are, are, are women and, and key, right. Lydia is going to be a key player through uh, other, other parts of the New Testament too. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And you think about when Paul and Silas, they've, they've just been, been beaten. All right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're, they're, they're in stocks and they're singing. Now, they're not singing just so people can hear them singing, mm-hmm. but they are singing praise to the Lord. And the interesting thing is other people are listening right. yeah, who right. are also in prison. Right. Right. And somehow they're influenced by just listening right. to these guys singing praise. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So what is the book of Philippians about? Well, that's the fun contrast. We've just been talking about Paul in prison. He's been beaten. Yeah. And they're... they're uh, uh, singing praise to the Lord, and he writes this book to this church in Philippi, and the book's about joy. Wow. And that's what I mm. so love about this book. I, I tried to differentiate between joy and happiness, and the best way that I could do that is is to define happiness as something that is based on what happens. So happiness is from the outside in. So if things go well for me, I'm happy. If things yeah. don't go well for me, I'm unhappy. Joy, on the other hand, works from the inside out. Right. It, it, it starts with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, so I can be unhappy and still joyful. Mm-hmm. Even if my circumstances are bad, I still have joy because of what God in Christ has done. And so mm-hmm. throughout the book of Philippians, 16 times in a relatively short letter— you see Paul referencing joy, joy in circumstances, joy in his relationship, joy even in his pain, joy in conversion. And Paul exemplifies how to have joy in Christ, a small word with a really big meaning. You know, as you, I remember when you were preaching this sermon series, I can't tell you how many times the old song that we used to sing as a kid, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart where, where? exactly <laughs> and right. so yeah i remember that so much so what was paul's prayer for the church 
Well, this is the, the, the interesting thing about Paul. Remember, we know the circumstances of how the church began and, and the joy uh, under which Paul is writing. And Paul really has what seems to be a central focus. And you find it in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And Paul introduces it saying, This is my prayer for you, that your love may overflow more and more. Mm. And, and that's Paul's prayer. Now, he goes on to explain how that love will grow and the reason why he wants that love to grow. But if you could sort of isolate Paul's focus. Now, the book's about joy, and his prayer for them is not that they would have love. He acknowledges that they have love. I want your love to grow still more and more. And then Mm -hmm. he goes on to say what's going to happen. Now, if your love grows more and more, you'll be able to approve what's excellent. If your love grows more and more, you'll be sincere and blameless. If your love grows more and more, Paul says, you'll be filled with fruits of righteousness. So all of these things ensue when we are filled with love and that love begins to grow more and more. And that's that's a wonderful prayer that Paul is praying no doubt for himself and for this church, that they might continue to grow in their love relationship with God. Mm. In the book of Philippians, and in this, it's really a letter, an epistle that that Paul writes, uh, he talks about the things that have happened to me. Yeah. So what, what, what does Paul mean by that? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting phrase that Paul says that because in this book, he doesn't define them. Uh, <laughs> actually, to, to get to the picture of the things that happened to Paul, you really have to turn back to Acts 21 to 28, and you read about Paul in prison. You read about Paul attacked by mobs. You read about Paul beaten. He's stoned. He's shipwrecked. Uh, all the things that you read about in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, where Paul delineates all the things that happened to him, and then Paul summarizes those here in Philippians by saying, "The things that have happened to me, yeah. as though I don't even need to delineate those. They're not really uh, on the forefront." And so, when in Philippians one verse twelve, when Paul says, "I want you to know." The things that have happened to me have been used by God for a purpose. Now, now here's, here's what I love about this, and this is something that all believers can resonate with. I don't understand everything that God does. I don't understand the reasons why things happen, and all of us as believers have maybe had that question, why? Paul doesn't even presume to to know the answers to those things, but here's what he knows, the meaning behind them. The things that have happened to me have been used by God. Yeah, so do you think it's fair to assume that when he says the things that have happened to me um, in this letter, that maybe he's already talked to this group of people about the things that have already happened, the things that are recorded in Acts? Yeah, I think that's probably true because he seems to be referencing that in verse 12. I want you to know that the things that have happened to me. And then he says they've actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And so he's he's sort of contrasting. So the things, and you probably know about some of these things that have happened to me, but they have actually done something. God's used that. Now, even as he writes that, there are more things still happening. He's right. in prison. Uh, he, he even talks about his own reputation being being under attack in verses 15 and 16. He, he talks about the fact that, you know, my preferences are for something different, but I realize that God is using my circumstances yeah. for your good. 
Right. So the things that have happened to me. Such a rich thought that Paul says, I'm so submitted to the, to the truth of God, to the word of God, to the plan of God, the purposes of God, that I realize that the things that have happened to me can further the gospel. They can even, verse 19, turn out for my good, mm-hmm. but more importantly, verse 20, they turn out for his glory. Those yeah. things. Those things got right. him to Philippi, yeah. and yeah. then the church started. So now look at them where they are now. Yeah. And he's writing a letter to them to encourage them to continue, which is... Yeah, and it's Paul who wrote those famous words in Romans chapter 8 that many believers kind of cling to when he says in Romans 8, 28, we know Mm -hmm. that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Mm -hmm. But but I love how that verse begins. We know that. Right. We we forget it sometimes, but we know know. God does that in our life circumstances. Absolutely. One of the most well-known passages in the book of Philippians is in chapter 2, let this mind be in you. What does Paul mean by that? You know, when I was approaching this passage, F.F. Uh, Bruce, a great New Testament scholar, called this passage the crown jewel of the New Testament. And so there's, there's an intimidation factor when you come to a passage that is so rich, deep in theology. Paul says in, 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 in Philippians 2, verse 5, have this attitude, or let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So that's his goal. I want you to have this mind. I want you to have the mind of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Paul says, who was already existed in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or hung on to, but he emptied himself And he took on the form of a bondservant being born in the likeness of men. So we've just come through the Christmas season where we celebrated. We use this word incarnation, which comes from the word carne or flesh. God in human form. Well, that's what Paul is saying here. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he 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 didn't give up his 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 deity. He was still God, but he took on human form and submitted. He humbled himself to the purposes and plans of God. And and so Paul says, I want you to have that mind, the mm-hmm. kind of mind that, that submits my plans, my purposes for God's purposes. And so Paul says, I, I want that to be the mind. And so if that's not your mind, Paul says, change your mind. I want your mind to be like the mind right. of Christ. Well, the series is entitled to be in Christ. And so it's very well laid out right there. Okay, so we have in Philippians one of one of historically the most debated passages in Scripture in the New Testament uh, in all of it, and still today theologians and professors and Pat, they're all talking about this 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 phrase and this this passage. But uh, Paul uses this phrase to work out your salvation. So uh, help us kind of get a better picture and understanding of what he's saying there and what that means. Yeah, this is a fascinating Bible question, and you're right. Bible Bible students and Bible scholars love to debate this question that we've been debating since the time of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Paul sort of highlights in back-to-back verses two interesting phrases. So Philippians 2.12 says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now also in my absence, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Oh, so, so, so Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And then verse 13, for... It is God who is at work in you, 
both to desire and work for his good pleasure. So you've got two different workers going on. Paul says in verse 12, work out your own salvation. And then he says in verse 13, but it's God who's who's working in you. Mm. And so we understand salvation is a gift from God. It's not a reward. It's not an achievement. I don't, I don't work in order to earn my salvation. But Paul is talking about the works that we complete because we, we have been saved. So we're, we're working. Paul says in verse 12, even if no one's looking. So you did it in my presence, but I want you to do it in my absence. I want you to keep working out. And we use that phrase today, working out. I'm, I'm exercising. Mm-hmm. That is, I'm putting into practice the things that we learn. So when I'm working out my salvation, that may be intellectual, I'm working things out. Mm. Uh, It may be physical. It may be tangible. It may be ministerial things that I'm doing. But I'm doing those things because it's God at work in me. And that's what Paul is saying. I want you to work out those things in fear and trembling. That's the reverence because God's working in you. So you can work out because God's working in. Yeah. So it, it, it seems like maybe it's a recognition of sin, though we are saved, we still deal with the sin aspect of our lives and, you know, certain sins come up and and we're still working out how to no longer participate in those. Is that kind of what he's getting at? Yeah, I think that's the fear and trembling yeah. part of that, that I'm, I'm working it out. Um, but it's not only based on my ability. Right. Um, but it's God working in me. Yeah, so it's so the working it out could look like just being prostrate before the Lord right. and recognizing I am still a sinner and I still need your help to right. to overcome these things. That's good. Yeah, and Paul concludes to in in verse sixteen, holding firmly to the word. So okay, yeah, so right. so I keep holding on to the word. Yeah, yeah, to the gospel. That's right. So to clarify, it is not you're working for your salvation. Right. Right. You are not accomplishing or achieving salvation by your works, but right. because of God working in you, you're working out. You're working out that salvation in a way that brings honor and glory to mm-hmm. the Lord Jesus Christ who's working in me. Yeah. Well, our last question on this first part here in Philippians is, who was Epaphroditus and what was his function in the letter? In the last part of Philippians chapter 2, we, we meet two godly men who were servants of Paul, workers with Paul. We meet Timothy, who Paul describes as my son in the faith, and there's just this eloquent, loving language that Paul uses about Timothy. He calls him my son five times. He's there with Paul in Acts 16. He's a co-worker in several different places and 11 different towns. Timothy's there, later became a pastor in Ephesus. Timothy's a worker with Paul, but Paul, when he's talking to the church in, in, in Philippi, he says, you know, I, I wanted to send Timothy to you, but I realized I needed to send somebody else. And it's really interesting because Paul, he, he takes a, a minute to, to praise Timothy. He says, I don't have anything, anybody else like Timothy. He, he's, he's genuinely concerned for your welfare. He, he's looking out for you. He's got proven character. He served me. I don't know anybody else like him. And then Paul says, but I'm not sending him. And it's kind of a funny part Mm -hmm. of the letter. I I wanted to send him to you, verse 23. But Paul says, I found it necessary, verse 25. So now here, Paul, again, relinquishing what I think is right with what the Lord reveals to be right. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to send Timothy. He's a great guy. You'd love him. 
but I need to send Epaphroditus. He's the right, I use this phrase, he's the right man for the job. He's yeah. the guy God has. You don't, now they knew him because they were familiar with him, and he, Paul points that to, points out that to them, but, but most people didn't know Epaphroditus, but Paul is assuring them he's the right guy. And here's what Paul said about him. He's a brother in the Lord. He's a co-worker. He's a fellow soldier. He's a messenger, and he's a minister of the gospel. And, and I just love the, the, the way that Paul acknowledges this brother in the Lord who is unknown in other places but greatly used of God, and he was the right man for them right now. The series is entitled To Live is Christ. Once again, there's 10 sermons in this series. We just kind of broke down the first five here. Go to our YouTube page, and you can see all 10 of them. Uh, whether you've seen them before or it's your first time, I highly, highly recommend it. It is a very good uh, breakdown of Philippians and lots of great stuff in there. Pastor, we appreciate you joining us this mm-hmm. morning. Thank you. And, Glad uh, to be with you. Pastor, we'll be back uh, on our next episode as we break down part two of the Philippians series in the last five sermons. Thanks for listening to Life After Sunday, and we'll see you next time. If what you have heard today has been helpful and encouraging to you, then please leave a review with five stars. If you'd also like to request future topics for discussion, then please email us at sfbclifeaftersunday at gmail.com. And now a word from Dr. Darren Biles, pastor of Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast, Life After Sunday, a podcast ministry from Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. We are delighted that you have joined us today. I want to make a special invitation to you to come be our guest this coming Sunday or any Sunday at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Our address is 3018 North Beltline. We would be delighted for you, for your family to come worship with us. Our Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9 o'clock. Our worship service starts at 1030. We have Sunday school for all ages. We would love to meet you, have you a part of our church family. We'll look forward to seeing you. It is my honor to serve as the pastor, and I'll look forward to seeing you at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Life After Sunday is a podcast brought to you by Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. I'm Ed Petty along with Aaron Allen. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and join us again next week on Life After Sunday.